Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The Wisdom of Father Brown by G.K. Chesterton, read by Martin Clifton. Chapter 2. The Paradise of Thieves The great Muscari, most original of the young Tuscan poets, walked swiftly into his favourite restaurant, which overlooked the Mediterranean, was covered by an awning and fenced by little lemon and orange trees. Waiters in white aprons were already laying out on white tables the insignia of an early and elegant lunch and this seemed to increase a satisfaction that already touched the top of swagger. Mascari had an eagle nose like Dante. His hair and neckerchief were dark and flowing. He carried a black cloak, and might almost have carried a black mask, so much did he bear with him a sort of Venetian melodrama. He acted as if a troubadour had still a definite social office like a bishop. He went as near as his century permitted to walking the world literally like Don Juan, with rapier and guitar. For he never travelled without a case of swords, with which he had fought many brilliant duels, or without a corresponding case for his mandolin, with which he had actually serenaded Miss Ethel Harrogate, the highly conventional daughter of a Yorkshire banker on holiday. Yet he was neither a charlatan nor a child, but a hot, logical Latin, who liked a certain thing and was it. His poetry was as straightforward as anyone else's prose. He desired fame, or wine, or the beauty of women with a torrid directness inconceivable among the cloudy ideals or cloudy compromise of the North. To vaguer races his intensity smelt of danger or even crime. Like fire or the sea, he was too simple to be trusted. The banker and his beautiful daughter were staying at the hotel attached to Mascari's restaurant and that was why it was his favourite restaurant. A glance flashed around the room told him at once, however, that the English party had not descended. The restaurant was glittering, but still comparatively empty. Two priests were talking at a table in the corner, but Muscari, an ardent Catholic, took no more notice of them than of a couple of crows. But from a yet farther seat, partly concealed behind a dwarf tree golden with oranges, there rose and advanced towards the poet a person whose costume was the most aggressively opposite to his own. This figure was clad in tweeds of piebald check, with a pink tie, a sharp collar, and protuberant yellow boots. He contrived, in the true tradition of Harriet Margate, to look at once startling and commonplace. But as the cockney apparition drew nearer, Muscari was astounded to observe 
that the head was distinctly different from the body. It was an Italian head, fuzzy, swarthy, and very vivacious, that rose abruptly out of the standing collar-like cardboard and the comic pink tie. In fact, it was a head he knew. He recognised it, above all the dire erection of English holiday array, as the face of an old but forgotten friend named Ezra. This youth had been a prodigy at college, and European fame was promised him when he was barely fifteen. But when he appeared in the world, he failed, first publicly as a dramatist and a demagogue, and then privately for years on end as an actor, a traveller, a commission agent, or a journalist. Muscari had known him last behind the footlights. He was but too well attuned to the excitements of that profession, and it was believed that some moral calamity had swallowed him up. Ezra cried the poet, rising and shaking hands in a pleasant astonishment. "'Well, I've seen you in many costumes in the green-room, but I never expected to see you dressed up as an Englishman.' "'This,' answered Ezra gravely, "'is not the costume of an Englishman, but of the Italian of the future.' "'In that case,' remarked Muscari, "'I confess I prefer the Italian of the past.' "'That is your old mistake, Muscari,' said the man in tweeds, shaking his head, "'and the mistake of Italy. "'In the sixteenth century we Tuscans made the morning. "'We had the newest steel, the newest carving, the newest chemistry. "'Why should we not now have the newest factories, "'the newest motors, the newest finance, the newest clothes?' "'Because they're not worth having,' answered Muscari. "'You cannot make Italians really progressive. "'They're too intelligent.' Men who see the shortcut to good living will never go by the new elaborate roads. Well, to me, Marconi or D'Annunzio is the star of Italy, said the other. That is why I have become a futurist and a courier. A courier, cried Mascari, laughing. Is that the last of your list of trades, and whom are you conducting? Oh, a man of the name of Harrogate and his family, I believe. "'Not the banker in this hotel?' inquired the poet, with some eagerness. "'That's the man,' answered the courier. "'Does it pay well?' asked the troubadour innocently. "'It will pay me,' said Ezra, with a very enigmatic smile. "'But I am a rather curious sort of courier.' Then, as if changing the subject, he said abruptly, "'He has a daughter, and a son.' "'The daughter is divine,' affirmed Muscari. "'The father and son are, I suppose, human.' But granted his harmless qualities, doesn't that banker strike you as a splendid instance of my argument? Harrogate has millions in his safes, and I have the hole in my pocket. But you don't say, you can't say that he's cleverer than I, or bolder than I, or even more energetic. He's not clever, he's got eyes like blue buttons. He's not energetic, he moves from chair to chair like a paralytic. He's a conscientious, kindly old blockhead but he's got money simply because he collects money, as a boy collects stamps. You're too strong-minded for business, Ezra. You won't get on. To be clever enough to get all that money, one must be stupid enough to want it. I'm stupid enough for that, said Ezra gloomily. But I should suggest a suspension of your critique of the banker, for here he comes. Mr. Harrogate, the great financier, did indeed enter the room, but nobody looked at him. He was a massive, elderly man, with a boiled blue eye and faded, grey, sandy moustaches. But for his heavy stoop he might have been a colonel. He carried several unopened letters in his hand. His son Frank was a really fine lad, curly-haired, sunburned and strenuous, but nobody looked at him either. 
all eyes, as usual, were riveted, for the moment at least, upon Ethel Harrogate, whose golden Greek head and colour of the dawn seemed set purposely above that sapphire sea like a goddess. The poet Muscari drew a deep breath as if he were drinking something, as indeed he was. He was drinking the classic, which his father's made. Ezra studied her with a gaze equally intense and far more baffling. Miss Harrogate was specially radiant and ready for conversation on this occasion, and her family had fallen into the easier continental habit, allowing the stranger Muscari and even the courier Ezra to share their table and their talk. In Ethel Harrogate, conventionality crowned itself with a perfection and splendour of its own. Proud of her father's prosperity, fond of fashionable pleasures, a fond daughter but an arrant flirt, she was all these things with a sort of golden good nature that made her very pride pleasing and her worldly respectability a fresh and hearty thing. They were in an eddy of excitement about some alleged peril in the mountain path they were to attempt that week. The danger was not from rock and avalanche, but from something yet more romantic. Ethel had been earnestly assured that brigands, the true cutthroats of the modern legend, still haunted that ridge and held that pass of the Apennines. They say, she cried, with the awful relish of a schoolgirl, that all that country isn't ruled by the King of Italy, but by the King of Thieves. Who is the King of Thieves? A great man, replied Mascari, worthy to rank with your own Robin Hood, signorina. Montano, the King of Thieves, was first heard of in the mountains some ten years ago, when people said brigands were extinct. But his wild authority spread with the swiftness of a silent revolution. Men found his fierce proclamations nailed in every mountain village, his sentinels gun in hand in every mountain ravine. Six times the Italian government tried to dislodge him, and was defeated in six pitched battles, as if by Napoleon. Now that sort of thing, observed the banker weightily, would never be allowed in England. Perhaps, after all, we had better choose another route. But the courier thought it perfectly safe. It is perfectly safe, said the courier contemptuously. I have been over it twenty times. There may have been some old jailbird called a king in the time of our grandmothers, but he belongs to history, if not to fable. Brigandage is utterly stamped out. It can never be utterly stamped out, Muscari answered, because armed revolt is a recreation natural to southerners. Our peasants are like their mountains, rich in grace and green gaiety, but with the fires beneath. There is a point of human despair where the northern poor take to drink, and our own poor take to daggers. A poet is privileged, replied Ezra with a sneer. If Signor Muscari were English, he would still be looking for highwaymen in Wandsworth. Believe me, there is no more danger of being captured in Italy than of being scalped in Boston. Then you propose to attempt